ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we met up with futurist, technologist and author David Wood, who is one of the leading thinkers on artificial intelligence to attack the big question of artificial intelligence and how is it going to affect us in the near future. As you know, the world is changing and technology advancements are going to be here in the very near future and are going to change our existence on the planet, which means we all need to be informed then from that position we can make better decisions and in this podcast we talk about human agendas when it comes to artificial intelligence we ask the question what is driving humans to keep building artificial intelligence we talk about machine like human intelligences consciousness how we'll be able to tell if an ai actually possesses a form of consciousness and we talk about building superhumans. i know you are all going to find this one very interesting as much as we did sitting down with david And this podcast is brought to you by you and the best way that you can support the podcast is through our Patreon page. We also have a one-off donation option, which a few people have donated to over the last few weeks from time to time and and thrown a few dollars in there. And supporting this podcast really does help us to keep doing what we're doing. So if you can, please find it in your heart and help us out and enjoy this podcast with David Wood. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It really is a pleasure. And the the, the conversation of artificial intelligence is really uh, an interesting question and one that me and Chris have talked about many different times on the podcast. Um, but one big thing that I've noticed is that every single person that I've spoke to about artificial intelligence, I mean, you might be different different on this, but I've never come across anyone who has who is completely optimistic that artificial intelligence is going to be a good thing. Um, why do you think, if that is the case, why do you think we're still marching forward as a civilization towards it? Well, the reason there's more and more artificial intelligence these days is because it's very commercially significant. Mm-hmm. Companies are making a lot of money out of artificial intelligence. If you look at which companies are the most highly valued based on their share price capitalizations, If we go back 10, 15 years, it was a variety of different companies. It was oil companies like Exxon, financial companies like Citibank. There were general manufacturers like GE, retailers like Walmart. And occasionally in that listing, you'd include the high-tech companies like Apple or Microsoft. But for the last three years, the dominant 
valued companies are all high-tech companies, all of whom are putting AI at the center of what they're doing. This is Amazon, Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, Microsoft, Apple, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And why are they investing in AI? It's because it's helping them in turn to make money. And field after field of industry is being transformed by companies that are able to apply AI to automate their processes, to deliver a better customer experience, and to make things run better all around. So that's why we're having more and more AI. It's not just a commercial significance, it's also a, a political significance. Mm. After all, uh, Vladimir Putin, who some of your listeners may have heard of, yeah. <laughs> he was taking part in a Q&A not so long ago with a big audience, and he was asked about AI. He answered pretty well. There are lots of potential upsides, lots of potential downsides. And then as a, almost a throwaway remark at the end, he said, by the way, who leads in this field will rule the world. Yeah, I remember hearing that actually. It was really interesting. So do you think, so do you think our, it could be a big thing is the, our commercial interests? So we obviously know that capital, capitalism always sort of leads towards money, money, money. That's how, that's how a lot of people view, a lot of wealthy people view the world. Do you think that could be actually, they could be blinded by that? Well, we are yeah. being blinded by it. Yeah. Let's take Facebook as an example. You know, a few years ago, we were all quite happy with Facebook. You know, it helped us to keep in touch with our family members, organize events, and we'd have chats on that. There were a few people who were concerned, well, this is messing with our psychology. But people said, oh, so what, you know? Mm. Now we can realize, actually, the way it's messing with our psychology, using artificial intelligent algorithms, by the way, to feed each of us different kinds of entries, it is having drawbacks. And more and more of the early members of Facebook, the people who were part of that company in the beginning, they regret what's happened. And they say they wish they hadn't uh, messed with uh, human psychology in the same way. And they now say, I wonder what we could have done differently. Yeah. Well, the answer is they should have thought harder about what's happening. And what we're seeing with Facebook, it's driving people into little tribes, into little filter bubbles, they're called. It encourages the expression of emotions. Because Facebook's all about people engaging with the site. The more time they spend on the site, the more they're likely to click on adverts and Facebook gets money. Mm. And so what keeps people on the site is when their emotions are aroused, whether it's good, positive feelings of, wow, that's a lovely video, yeah. or an angry <laughs> video. Oh, that stupid person. How could they be so foolish? And so it naturally, by its own inherent logic, it prioritizes these kinds of posts. And... Uh, it's probably also interfered with some of our decision processes. People have been led to decisions on political matters, whether it's who to vote for in elections or what to vote for in a referendum. We've all been subtly nudged by some of the micro-targeted adverts we've seen on uh, social media. So yeah. this one example of how it's already having uh, unexpected consequences that we didn't foresee. Yeah. And as AI gets more powerful and more pervasive, as it affects more parts of our lives, the risk is that it's going to have even more unexpected side effects. Do you, do you think as a civilization we always do that? Because even if you look at, go back to the, um, was it the atom bomb? Like, so they're just, as a civilization, we just, we just did it anyway because that's, that's normally what humans do. We do the thing and then we get to the problem and then we'll think from that point we'll pivot. Because a lot of people say if we do that with artificial intelligence, we may get to that point and there might not be a chance to turn back and change our minds. Mm. So historically, we have 
often uh, experimented, knowing things might go wrong, but we've had the view, well, if it goes wrong, we'll learn and we'll fix it. Yeah. This, again, is the mantra of many of the high-tech companies. Mm. It's don't ask for permission, we'll ask for forgiveness, you know? Yeah. Or in Facebook's <laughs> motto was, move fast and break things. And they said, if you're not breaking things, then you're not uh, being adventurous enough and uh, other people will go faster than you. So don't mind breaking a few things, you'll just patch it up and fix it. Yeah. And maybe with fires, it was sort of all right. You know, when fire got out of control, we eventually invented the fire extinguisher and the fire engine and fire, fire safety mechanisms. And of course, some people died, but on the whole, we got better at managing it. With cars, we invented uh, safety belts and uh, steering wheels that would crumple and airbags and so on. Mm. But there are, you're right, there are some things that might be too dangerous to manage in such a way. We have to get it right the first time. And nuclear is almost one of these examples. You know, if we <coughs> don't get it right first time, exactly what could happen. Yeah. So actually, before the very first atomic bomb test, some of the scientists were worried, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen. Maybe the air is going to go so hot that the whole of the atmosphere is going to catch fire. Yeah, I remember them. That's what they were doing. They were test. They didn't even know the limits of yeah. what they were doing. So, and they calculated and calculated and they convinced themselves it would not catch fire. <laughs> but even then, before the, the bomb, some of the scientists had a kind of wager with each other. Well, I wager that some of the atmosphere is going to catch fire, that but it's crazy. only going to be New Mexico that gets destroyed rather than the whole planet. Now, it turns out nothing actually happened, except, I say that, there were many unintended consequences of the bomb because they, they designed it for a big blast. That was their intent. They designed it also as a theater, a spectacle. They wanted to do something so huge and ominous that uh, it would force the Japanese to change their minds, and arguably it did that. Mm. But they didn't really think about the radioactive fallout. Mm -hmm. They had a vague idea there would be radioactivity. And in the weeks afterwards, when more and more reports came that many people were being killed, not because of the blast, but because of this unexpected fallout, more of the scientists said, you know, we'd wish we thought about this. We yeah. wouldn't have done it. Too late. <laughs> and then there's other consequences. People realized eventually, if enough of the atom bombs got, uh, exploded, guess what? We won't actually fry the Earth. We'll cool the Earth because it's going to create the, uh, so much dust cloud in the atmospheres, it's going to cool the whole planet. And so there's examples of potential unintended consequences. Just another brief story on this. If we go forward a few years from the first atom bomb to the first hydrogen bomb, which mm. is a different kind of uh, physics, it's not uh, the heavy elements fissioning, it's the light elements fusing, the same as happens in the sun. And at this stage, 1950s, again, the Americans wanted a bit of theater. They wanted to convince the world that they were further along than the Soviets had also uh, by espionage got the details for the atomic bomb. So they eventually figured out how to make a hydrogen bomb go. And they calculated what the likely consequence would be. And they had a range of uh, explosives. They thought it might be between two and five megatons, which already would be several hundred times bigger than the atom bomb. And when it did go off, it was two and a half times more explosive than the maximum they'd expected. So what did that mean? It meant that the radioactivity was carried over a much wider range. Mm -hmm. Some of the instruments that were set up to record the effects of the blast, they were vaporized. You know? There was so, so much hot. And sadly, there was a Japanese fishing boat which had been excluded from the original zone, but uh, which people got a huge dose of radioactivity. And uh, one person died as a consequence. Which one was this one? I'm sorry, was this the, um, the SAR bomber? Or? You know, this is a static uh, hydrogen bomb. It's called Castle Bravo Test. Mm. Uh, in fact, 
Even from this day, it's still the largest uh, above-air explosion that American forces have ever done. Oh, wow. Because they realize, my God, this is much bigger than expected. Now, we're lucky that it was only two and a half times more. How did they manage to get it wrong? You might wonder, all these very super cl smart, clever people. Yeah. Well, there's something called a chain reaction. Not just a one uh, set of neutrons uh, changes one set of elements. There are new uh, elements created in the process, and uh, there was some lithium, which was used for packing, two different types of lithium, according to how many neutrons are in each lithium. That's lithium-6 and lithium-7. And they had assumed that one of these would not take part in the reaction. Oh, wow. But it did take part in the reaction, which is why there was a much bigger bang. So when technology starts running, sometimes there are unexpected consequences. And that's what it's bringing back to AI. So it's a bit of a long detail, but I think some of these uh, analogies help to make sense of things. Yeah. No, no, the what, risk what? is that as more and more AI technology is brought together, it's not just one bit of software, it's multiple bits of software. They all hook into each other. One bit of software uses another bit of software. So it might be when there's lots of bits of AI ready to go, suddenly, overnight almost, suddenly the software gets uh, thousands of times more capable than ever we wanted. So it's like we have a, the premise of an understanding of what may happen with AI in the yeah. future, especially with like all these different algorithms and all these different like connections. Like, but ultimately, we're like rolling the dice into this aspect because yeah. we never know the limits of what AI can bring, and which is where I'm thinking: is this is it dangerous to actually trust something which can be so? like changeable at the roll of a dice. So we should not trust any individual. We should not trust any group of people who have a kind of a group think. We need to bring lots of different uh, ana uh, perspectives to bear, people analyzing, people asking questions. So one of my messages, which I want to highlight, is uh, the need for greater transparency, the need for greater openness. We should not allow these uh, algorithms to hide behind uh, black boxes with the information as to how they work uh, being mm. kept secret. So there are already instances of algorithms being used in various uh, criminal justice cases, for example. Mm. It makes sense to see if uh, an AI could give advice to judges. And it turned out that it seemed to be prejudiced against various uh, sub subsets of society. And people said, well, let's uh, give more information, please, about how your algorithm works. And the company who had created it says, oh, no, this is commercially secret. We're, we're not going to share this at all. But eventually they did have it exposed, and it was just basically a, a very foolish uh, error that was part of their algorithms. Oh, right. In this case, it was relatively easy. In other cases, it's harder. I and mean, I have a whole background in software development. The more complex software systems, you often get not just simple bugs, you often get complex bugs arising from unexpected interactions between systems, things that depend on details of timing. Mm. So it might work very well nearly all the times, but then if the wind's blowing in a particular direction, as people say, if it's on a Wednesday in the month of the year with the longest uh, name, September, mm. uh, suddenly you might get, and that's a real example from my background, by the way. Oh, well. <laughs> we had a bit of software that worked fine until it was the first, the second Wednesday in September, and uh, a bit of software crashed on that day because of the, the name of the day was too long. When you when you were talking before about when we were talking before about the atom bomb and yeah. things like that, have you ever questioned, like we were saying before, humans seem to do things and then later on they'll pivot and turn. Have you questioned where that where that innate thing comes from? Why why we do that? Why is like what is really pushing us as human beings to to just keep driving forward without really asking questions? Have you like on a, in terms of evolution maybe? 
Well, actually, for a lot of society, a lot of history, we didn't yeah. want to progress. Most of culture for most of history said, uh, let's keep doing things the way we're doing them already. Thank you very much. It was quite mm. conservative. They said, this is the way we do things around here. You know, the, the gods have spoken or the ancestors have decreed or the monarch says this or we have to do it because the emperor. So actually, most of history was reasonably static. The rate of progress was slow. If we look at the evolution of stone tools, for most of uh, prehistory, the stone tools hardly changed. It's only relatively recently that things have moved faster. And you can point to maybe the Enlightenment, but actually the biggest change started coming in the Industrial Revolution when there were more uh, tools available, more power available. Mm. People figured out how to make steam engines work in an effective mm. way. And this coupled with the view that there was a new philosophy around, which was you could criticize your, uh, the authorities. There was the Protestantism, which had been around for a couple of centuries by then, that said, you know what, the Pope may be, make mistakes. Mm. And then people started questioning, well, Aristotle said this, maybe he didn't know everything. So it's relatively new that we've had much more of an openness to change. And even now, many people have got a bias towards the status quo. We all think, well, progress will be good, but change? No, I'm not sure I like change, you know? Yeah. So, yes, there is some uh, part of the human that looks to do a bit of novelty. We like to try things new occasionally. Society as a whole has been quite conservative for a long time. But now, things are speeding up. And actually, things are speeding up as never before. We're mm -hmm. having more change happen in a short space of time than in history. And the conservative backlash is stronger than ever before. More and more people are saying, oh, hang on, I don't, I'm not sure I like where this is going. With some justification, because they can see, many people can see, it seems to them, that they are being left behind in some yeah. of the progress that's being made. I was just gonna say though, it feels like, it feels like it can be argued as well that even though technology is expanding at a huge rate, us as a species is also expanding at a huge rate as well because we're getting less reliant on our own technology, uh, sorry, less reliant on our own physical self, more dependent on technology. So are we ourselves kind of like, I wouldn't like to use the word devolving here, but um, kind of like taking a step back and really letting all the machines do the work. Are we, is this going to affect us physically, mentally, socially? I mean, well, right there are now. changes, definitely, and uh, we have to figure out, are we happy with these changes or not? And uh, One of my grandfathers, uh, or great-grandfathers, was a blacksmith, you know, mm. and there isn't much need for blacksmiths these days. There's much smaller need anyway. As we moved away from horses being everywhere to having many fewer horses, that was a skill that's uh, gone uh, downwards. Some people used to be very good at doing huge amounts of mental arithmetic. Nowadays, a few people have got these skills because we can rely on calculators to do the calculations for us. Mm. Nowadays, a few of us have got an instinct about finding a way around large cities or because we've got a maps, Google Maps, that show us the way. So maybe we've got less of an innate sense of direction. Than mm. We don't look up at the stars and navigate via the stars. We have got eyesight has got worse. You know, some of the people in so-called uncivilized or primitive tribes, they have brilliant eyesight compared to most of the middle-aged of us because our eyes have deteriorated in part because uh, of reading things in bad light when we were young or whatever. Mm. So there is changes there too. So we but we have to look and see, are we happy with these changes or not? Another example is reading. Mm -hmm. Now, we all think reading and writing is good. There was a famous philosopher called Socrates mm -hmm. who famously said uh, he wasn't very happy with people reading and writing. 
he far preferred people to commit things to memory and the uh, oral tradition. Yeah. So as far as we know, Socrates didn't write anything down. It was Plato who was one of his students who did write things down and about Socrates. Mm -hmm. So he was worried that reading and writing would uh, take away some of the skills. For a long time, reading and writing was for the court's elite and most people could get by without being literate. Yeah. Nowadays, we say, actually, everybody does need these skills, otherwise they will be disadvantaging themselves. So each time we've got to look at it, and it's often maybe we'll be misled if we just follow our first instinct on this. We've got to decide, is this good or bad that we are changing how we live? And some of the changes are probably yeah. wrong, like eating too much sugar. Made sense a long time ago. With sugar, we would eat it mm -hmm. uh, when uh, diet was scarce in the Neolithic days. Nowadays, if the sugar, when our instinct is, well, let's have it. Actually, no, we shouldn't. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it is coming at the time, though, where it is. It's feeling like the complete rapid digression of what humans are actually doing now. I mean, we're just sitting in a box for eight hours, going home in our box to sit in another box to watch a box. We're completely surrounded by this box and we're really completely so far um, from the tribal aspect of where we originally came from. You've got to look at the aspect of well, we are putting too much emphasis on AI. We are putting too much emphasis on technology and the true cost is we are lo losing our sense of being human. Are we going to be thinking ourselves as the machines? So we must absolutely not develop AI for the sake of AI. We absolutely must not develop technology for the sake of technology. Equally, we should not develop technology for the sake of corporate profits. You know? mm -hmm. uh, some people imagine, well, there's bound to be some uh, alignment, some correlation. If profits are up, it must be that humans are satisfied. Yeah. And sometimes there's a correlation, but it's by no means universal. And sometimes we end up uh, in very awkward and uh, unhappy situations as a result of that. You know, we mm -hmm. have the King Midas effect. Oh, give me more gold, give me more gold, give me more gold. Oh, I wish that everything I touched would turn into gold. And mm -hmm. then he touched his food and it turned to gold. He touched his daughter and it turned to gold. Because that's an exaggeration, but in some ways that's what happens with it, life. It, it seems to be, though, that's, that's what intelligence does. It, intelligence constantly is driving us to get better and better and better. And it's like what Chris is saying, I don't know if we can resist that. Because everyone in their day-to-day -day lives wants, some, wants more. We always want, like, as a, our whole human ethos is we want more, we want more, we want better, we want better. Yeah. And it's, can we resist that? I don't know if you can. That's, but better what? Better what? You know, the, yeah, it's entirely yeah, right question. to that's want uh, some things more, mm -hmm. to want... Uh, you know, better memory is good, yeah. but a better human flourishing, we can say, which means uh, more emotional intelligence, reaching higher states of consciousness, being freed from being slaves to envy, being slaves to uh, anger. So mm -hmm. there are things inside of us that we don't want more of and we shouldn't want more of, but there are other things that we probably should want more of, you know, more uh, wisdom shouldn't just want more intelligence. Intelligence is a help, but why do we want more intelligence? If we're not careful, we'll use that intelligence to back up whatever biases we've got already. You know, there are some people who are convinced that a certain thing is true. Mm. If they become cleverer, what they will do is find uh, more evidence from uh, around the internet to back them up. And they'll find reasons to ignore the counter evidence. So they're using their intelligence not to make them wiser, but to confirm them in their present biases. So what we need is more wisdom, more emotional resilience, more uh, empathy, uh, more creativity, and 
higher states of consciousness. It feels like with the social aspect of where we're at now that we're actually getting less of a lot of that. Indeed. With the with the like the what we're talking about with Facebook and the the whole how we have to get our point across in like at one minute worth of content before before somebody loses attention. I mean, that's is this is the point where we're at now. We're all we're all fighting for this information. We're all fighting for there's so much information out there. We've been in the in uh, the internet has expressed that to us in a grand form, and now it's kind of like we are at the stage of it's not an ultimate form of enlightenment because to have all this knowledge doesn't equal enlightenment. To have all this knowledge is the huge form of attachment what we were that we're that we're actually attached to, but we don't know how to break this knowledge down into wisdom. Yeah, and that's it's like what Jordan Peterson said before. Though there's a balance within that, like he said. Um, on the essence of what Chris was talking about, how in, in society we're talking in these, like we put points across in these little bite-sized points of communication and this translation gets lost within that. But like Jordan Peterson says now, um, we're in a time where like we've got a podcast like this, there's more longer, like the internet and technology has created this sense of where long-form information, where you can speak to us for two hours, you can speak to us for three hours, four hours, and them you can them little bite-sized information now become bigger chunks so we can understand what you actually mean by a point what chris means by a point what i mean by a point so i do think there's still a there's still a like a balance within it it's not all it's not all bad within that no it's not all bad if yeah. we do this well if we really take charge of the potential of technology if we steer ai mm-hmm. wisely we could get to a much better state of life we could truly get to, I call it a superabundance, a sustainable superabundance, mm-hmm. when there is plenty for everybody to live a very high state of life. And I'm not just talking about plenty to eat and plenty to of comfort. I'm talking about getting into a quality of life that each of us would say, wow, this was a great day. Wow, yeah. it was a great day for me. It was a great day for you, a great day for the planet. And every day we would be like thinking, wow, what a good day. And that's possible because the in- information will help us to avoid sickness mm-hmm. it will help us to avoid uh, social problems it will help us to avoid climate change this wisdom if we use wisely could help us to steer quickly away from addiction to carbon-based fuels that emit lots of greenhouse gases and we more quickly go to solar power and wind power and so on so with intelligence we could get to almost a paradise on earth yeah uh, and possibly within a couple of decades but if we just stumble along, driven by our kind of business as usual mentality, driven by desires for corporate profits, we're unlikely to get to that sustainable yeah. superabundance. Do, do you mm. do you foresee in the future? I mean, obviously we've got a lot of films out there like Ex Machina and things like that. Do you foresee a, a point in history in in human history in the future where we're going to have sort of that that form of like intelligence where we have machine like human intelligence? Do I think it's a, certainly possible. I don't believe there's something inside the human brain that is beyond the ability for a software oh, wow. to duplicate. I, I don't think to expand on that. Hmm? I don't. Th- I don't think there's anything that can't be duplicated. I think we are a machine of a sort. We are a biological machine. Uh, that's not a, a slur. That's not a, a, a criticism. That's a, a powerful. We are a wonderful biological machine. And we'll be able, in due course, to create other wonderful machines, whether they've got some biology in them or whether they're entirely silicon or running on some other form of matter. In due course, we will have a software that's able to be as creative, as intelligent, 
as commonsensical, as compassionate as humans in every way. And in terms of the timing, nobody can say for sure because we don't yet know for sure how to build it. So we don't know how much more work needs to be done. Mm. We can say that today's AI is not going to deliver us this artificial general intelligence, but we can say also that there are many interesting research lines of work mm. which are being funded as never before, and there is a chance that they will break through quickly. If I was asked to give a spectrum of possibilities, I can't be sure, but I, would, I think it's a 50% chance we will have this artificial general intelligence by the middle of this century in say 30 years or so. So do you think we'll get to a point where there'll actually be no distinction between human beings and say like a, uh, an artificial intelligence that's very similar to something like Ex Machina? We could do that yeah. if we want. We probably wouldn't want just to duplicate it. Yeah. We would want these intelligences probably to do other things, not just copying what we've got already. But they would they not suffer from, uh, they would not they be short of any of the things which currently we humans think, well, AIs lack common sense, they lack emotional empathy, they lack mm. creativity, they lack true compassion. I think all of these things would be present. Well, or do you think they'll actually take on the form of um, kind of like human suffering? What we have to suffer with, they say, like um, the lack of sleep, uh, how, our, how our bodies in completely different aspects of... So I don't think that needs to happen. Uh, I think these AIs would understand the, the fact that humans suffer. They would be sympathetic to it in the way that we sometimes we can understand uh, at a certain level how other people suffer, so we don't have that same direct suffering ourselves. Mm -hmm. So they would understand. It's not clear that they would have a consciousness in exactly the same way as we have a consciousness. So the question of intelligence and understanding should be separated uh, at least in a first analysis, from questions of consciousness and self-awareness. They would be aware of themselves in a certain sense, but would there be actual feelings inside there is still a different question. We might decide not to give them feelings. Uh, they, we may... That would be scary. Hmm? So they would understand, but they wouldn't... Uh, uh, because they may suffer in, incredibly as well. You know, if, if they are a hundred times or a thousand times more powerful than us, they might have a hundred or a thousand times as much suffering in us. So maybe we shouldn't do that. You know? It's like today, we don't worry about switching off our computers. We don't think, oh, oh this poor computer is going to be killed, you know, because it doesn't have, there's no inner life there. Mm -hmm. And in the future, if we have software which is very intelligent but still has no inner life, again, we'll be able to switch it on and off without worrying about it. Mm -hmm. But if for whatever reason it gets designed in a way that has a consciousness inside, then at that stage it will need to have rights as well as we do, and we will need to think about it not suffering immensely it's interesting because people mm. will that perception of like asking the question how will like you said if it gets to a point where like you said you just turn off your computer you'll forget about it because it looks different but when it gets to a point where see something like ex machina it is sort of like a a female that looks sexy and stuff like that she's got all the right curves and stuff like that and she's trying to seduce you and talk to you the public perception are gonna think that's conscious like they're conscious i mean i think it was mm. um or they have some form of consciousness sorry but was it in some sort of country give um, citizenship to it an artificial intelligence? As Saudi well? Arabia yeah. gave citizenship to Sophia, which is a robot made by Hanson Robotics. Now they know that Sophia is not yet uh, fully conscious. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, it's, that's it's a step of towards that's the, the very future. early stages, but people yeah. are still feeling yeah. attachment to that already now. That's right. So we have a, a human instinct, which is to infer uh, yeah. a, a life, infer consciousness, infer, infer agency to many things that don't have agency. 
So as a child, we often imagine uh, or half imagine that our dolls or our toys might be alive. When we see dramas on TV, whether it's uh, Coronation Street or EastEnders or Breaking Bad or whatever, they are fictitious characters, Mm -hmm. but we still imagine, well, these fictitious characters have real emotions. Uh, There are other pets that have been made, robotic pets, robotic seals, for example, which have been given to people with Alzheimer's or other uh, mental deterioration. And it's clear there's a strong emotional bond there too, even though these creatures are entirely silicon for the time being. So we are Mm. inclined to infer that. Then maybe we'll have to learn to stop inferring that. And that may be not easy. And by the way, on Ex Machina, I would uh, echo your praise of that film. I think it uh, puts a lot of points very well and uh, won't give away too much of the plot if people haven't watched it. (laughs) But uh, it emphasizes some of the dilemmas that... uh, philosophers and uh, technologists do think about as AI reaches closer to artificial general intelligence, what will we need to avoid doing in such certain cases? Yeah. I, know you, I know you said before that it, it wouldn't be hard to really replicate um, like in, sort of who, who we are, our tendencies and things like in that. In due course. Yeah, in due, or in due course, right, yeah. in essence. So do you think, see if, obviously because I know now we don't really, no one really understands the bigger picture of consciousness, what consciousness is. Do you foresee in the future where if we do get to a point, I mean, who knows what we're going to do? We'll keep, I mean, the, the, the amount of things that we've done so far in this short little bit of span, I mean, do you think we could get to a point where we could, I don't know, in, uh, input consciousness into a machine or maybe em- develop a machine that consciousness itself can go into? I don't know. So there's two things there. Is could we develop a machine that has its own consciousness? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we will be able to do that at some stage as we understand what consciousness is. There are some philosophers who will claim that they have a pretty good understanding of consciousness. I'm not entirely convinced. On uh, maybe two or three days a week, two days a week, I might be convinced that we have a general understanding. We just need to elaborate it. And maybe another two (laughs) or three days a week, I think, no, there's still quite a few fundamental points that we haven't quite made it through. Mm. But there is more scientific studies of consciousness now than ever before. And it's looking, as you know, at a whole bunch of uh, spiritual disciplines too. Because in some of these spiritual disciplines, the people can uh, have uh, different states of consciousness and we're trying to figure out, well, what is it that helps people to get to these uh, states of consciousness more quickly? So I think over the next few decades, we're going to understand the brain better and we'll probably get a better understanding of consciousness. And then we might be able to engineer it in if we wished. And so we'd have machines that were conscious. It's also possible it might just evolve emergently. So as we get all the other features, mm. it may just be that consciousness arises there in the same way that maybe there's no consciousness mode in the brain, but all the interactions of the different mental modules create consciousness. That's a very interesting point because we're speaking to Tom Campbell and he he, he says that, he says that it, it'll, it'll be a case of where consciousness is actually sort of, it comes into the, like see an artificial intelligence itself. That's a really interesting concept that because I mean, to go even deeper, I mean, I could ask the question, is that the process, what happens when we're first born as humans? I mean, when we're first born, because there's questions, there's a lot of philosophers who talk about how the baby isn't actually initially when it's in the womb, it isn't conscious. Mm. I mean, obviously that's a big, obviously there's a lot of different points on that. But if a machine's made and then the consciousness itself just transfers into it, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean. Okay, so I'm not sure I believe that there's a black and white on-off consciousness, not consciousness. I believe consciousness arises in stages. So I wouldn't like to say that babies have no consciousness at all. I would say that they are less, co- they are less fully conscious in the womb than they are uh, later in life. 
And so I don't think consciousness is a single thing. When I say consciousness may emerge, mm -hmm. it's as a result of an interaction of other things that are there or a reconfiguration of what's there already. So I don't see consciousness as a separate substance. I see consciousness as a different mode of interaction of the of the what's there. Mm. Oh, Would, so, oh, go ahead. No, sorry, I was just going to say back back to the concept of um, how we get with like um, a conscious machine or something like that. Um, I was thinking as well, would it be like a failure on the on behalf of humanity if we don't um, get like consciousness out of artificial intelligence? Would we? Would it be classed as a failure for humanity if we not reach that point? Well, as we said earlier, there some things that we've done, maybe we shouldn't have done in mm. history. So it's maybe we, it would have been better if we hadn't invented nuclear weapons, or uh, possibly with a artificial consciousness we might decide well we could do it but we won't mm. and we have to have that discussion and what we're discussing now is only the foothills of that discussion oh, yeah. because we need many more people to, to think on that issue so today I think it's quite a, we're quite a long way from having our artificial consciousness but we should have it even mm. before we have the dis discussion of whether we should have artificial consciousness the question is well what could go what else could go wrong with artificial general intelligence because uh, AI can threaten people even though it ha doesn't have an internal consciousness. After all, when a, uh, a remote-controlled cruise missile is chasing you down, you don't think, well, I don't worry about it, it's not really conscious. You think, well, yeah. it's following some deadly algorithm and it's got, it's got me as a target. You, know, uh, you should be scared. So we should be scared about the possibilities of artificial general intelligence separately of the discussion of uh, consciousness. Kind of feels like a Skynet, like from the Terminator franchise, really. Feels like that type of aspect. <laughs> well, there are, there are some parts of the Terminator scenario that I think we should look at. By the way, there are some parts which are very misleading. In Terminator, uh, humans are able to exert, shall we say, superhuman effort and overcome the AI. Yeah. Mm. I don't think that's credible. If AI really gets created, which is much smarter than us, we wouldn't have a chance. It would be like the the apes trying to overpower humans. You know, an individual ape might manage to overpower an individual human, but uh, humans have got so much more power at our disposal, and there's no way that mm -hmm. uh, it would be like even ants. You know, they might. Uh, you know, sometimes humans and ants have got different ideas on what should happen. You know, and ants are building a beautiful termite mound or uh, anthill, and humans decide, well, this is a brownfield site. We're going to build a new Waitrose supermarket here or a new block of uh, social housing. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a kind of a, a, de a democratic decision. Ants vote this, humans vote this. The humans just come along and bulldoze the ants into oblivion. Yeah? And so I think if such a thing were to happen, if AI were to be created, and if it were to start focusing on goals other than the true well-being of humans, and we could talk in a bit about how that might come to pass, mm. I don't think we humans would be able to fight back in the way that the humans in the Terminator scenario are able to fight back. The, the difference the, of power would be astronomical. Mm. There'd be so many safeguards to get to that before we'd even get to that point. You could never let anything have that free reign for mental cap capability. As much as we'd like to give AI an artificial consciousness, as much free reign as possible, there will be the three laws of robotics being put into that scenario. The, the, the thing is with that though is, because I disagree on that because um, you know, who's developing artificial intelligence now? It's not the, the people, who, sorry, a lot of people are developing artificial intelligence but the main players in the artificial intelligence co uh, conversation are people who are interested in weaponizing artificial intelligence. So then did mm. them three laws come into the conversation? Because I'm not sure. Mm. 
So the three laws are interesting, definitely, and Isaac Asimov's got some wonderful stories in which he talks about these three laws. But guess what? In each of the stories, he points out the contradictions in the three laws. So we can't just adopt these laws and uh, hope it's going to work because they're in internal tension. Mm -hmm. So I I think you're right. Most of the people who are developing it, they're not evil people, uh, as traditionally understood. They will want to ensure that their software is used for good. But it may, it's maybe more like the Facebook scenario. I mean, the, the people who made Facebook aren't particularly nasty or evil. They were just thoughtless. Yeah. Or at least there were some things they didn't think about. And that's likely what's going to go wrong. It's like the initial uh, people behind the atom bomb, as we said, they didn't think hard enough about the radioactive fallout. They didn't think hard enough about uh, the potential in due course for global winter, nuclear winter, nor even about the risks of terrorism, terrorists taking co- control of these weapons and threatening the earth. So it could be the same with AI. They will want to do it safely, but the safety will still be a kind of afterthought or secondary issue, and especially in a time of a race. Mm-hmm. This is the risk. It's almost like the famous saying by one of the American politicians when they're talking about uh, forming partnerships with uh, dictators overseas. They said something like, well, he may be a nasty son of a bitch, but at least he's our nasty son of a bitch, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to being controlled yeah. by the opposite side. And I'm told that uh, some... Uh, American military people have said, well, there are risks to having uh, unsafe artificial general intelligence, but it's far rather they would have the ownership of that than it would be owned by the Russians or the Chinese. Mm. Because they, that, so the risk is that in an intense uh, arms race situation, things will get worse and worse. And that's really scary. Do you, just to, I want to jump back a little bit before we're talking about the sense of, like, uh, we're talk, I know it's sort of in the realms of ex machina and stuff like that, but do you think sort of, um, an artificial intelligence could learn from its physical environment. Are you sure? I mean, yeah. they, they, they do currently. So even something like the self-driving cars, they are taking note of uh, all that's happening around them. They're not yet in real time. Uh, well, they're ad- adapting some of their driving in real time based on what they see. But if there's something unexpected that happens, yeah. then what happens, that gets recorded, and then mm. the AI algorithms work through in simulations. A bit like we humans dream about what happened in the past day and we figure out in, through our dreams some possible responses we figure out uh, how to make sense of things without being too emotionally wrapped up in them and to an extent the same happens with uh, the AI systems for driverless cars the unexpected scenarios are then analyzed in simulation environments the, the new features are put there and the software with the help currently of humans but later mm-hmm. on the software more by itself will work out appropriate responses so Learning is, in fact, well, it's, it's got a name. It's called machine learning or deep learning. It's, yeah. the ne- it's the current wave of AI. The first class of AI was AI that was con- written by humans. Humans wrote every single line. We put in all the formulas, all the special cases, and the AI worked through. But m- what machine learning does is work out from uh, the environment, work out from training data, sometimes self-supervised, it figures out what to do. Mm. So I think as AGI becomes more... Closer, as artificial general intelligence becomes closer, is probably its rate of learning will improve. And sometimes we are surprised by how quickly a young employee in a company is able to learn, or sometimes we're surprised how quickly our, ch- our children or our nephews and nieces are able to learn. Mm. It'll be like that with AGI. One day we'll think, oh, it's quite clever, and a few days' time, oh my goodness, how did it get so much cleverer so much quickly? Yeah. An example of that, sort of example of that, is the Google's DeepMind program to play Go. It uh, started off by playing a reasonable game of Go, and it eventually managed to beat the European champion, 
And the world champions, who, by the way, the European champions aren't very good. There's only something about number 200 in the world. So the, the top uh, dozen or so players, they looked at the games that were played as the software beat this European champion. And they said, you know what? It's not very good yet. Yeah. And they thought eventually it might get better. Maybe in 10 years' time they may get good enough. To, but it learned so much more quickly. And so when the actual best uh, ever goal player, Lee Sedol from South Korea, was in a match, he predicted he might lose one but he thought he would win all his games and in fact he lost four and managed to win one and after that the software got so much better again and now when it plays it beats all the world champions uh, without losing any game so it's an example of how quickly things are able to learn uh, on this point the uh, famous uh, philosopher of ai nick bostrom is a professor at oxford university he wrote a very famous book about the coming superintelligence. He wrote it in 2014. In that, he said, at the current rate of progress of Go playing software, Go is this uh, game in the Orient, it will take 10 years to beat the best uh, human. And instead of taking 10 years, it took two years. So we have the possibility of AI learning a lot faster than we expect, which is even more of a reason not to stop it, but to put more thought all the time into safety, and into scenario planning, and into adaptability, and into control. It's scary because I've heard in adaptability as well that it's actually the one that are tested in uh, in poker. So a machine actually played Texas Hold'em yes. poker. You're probably aware of this, but anyone who doesn't know that that I said like you could outbluff the machine. The, the machine could always read the cards and read the percentage of like it cards, but that doesn't make a good poker player. It'll make you win every a lot of hands if you play the cards right. But you could never outbeat a good satire, um, bluff, basically. But the machine was even calculating in the bluffs as well. So it was even in an aspect of something completely out of the range of like possibility that adapted to the game. Yes. It adapted to like players' progression of the game. So if say I bluffed one hand, a two and a three, it would it would calculate that aspect into the game uh, later on in the asp, and it would adapt. That's exactly what the human player said. So I think it was a software was called Labratus. Something it was developed like by this, yes. uh, uh, a university in North America. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, with some help from some other developers in Eastern Europe. And at the beginning of a tournament, they played a tournament over a course of several weeks. At the beginning, the humans were winning, but their response later on is, you know, the software is getting better and better every day. It spots the patterns of bluffing. Because even the humans they don't like to bluff in a predictable way because then others can figure out, I know you're bluffing now. Mm. And in this case, the computer wasn't looking at their face or their hands. There was no visual recognition. It was simply, what is the pattern of uh, bets being made? Mm -hmm. And it was able to work out. It was also able to disguise its own bluffing because it was monitoring its own behavior in real time. It was I trying to make sure that there was no predictable patterns in there. So I'm not sure it's good that we teach AI to bluff and deceive, but uh, anyway, it, this is an important example, first of all, of AI handling incomplete information, and secondly, being able to deal with all the randomness and variability. Mm -hmm. And so that was another step forwards, which was faster than many so-called experts predicted, which is why I'm cautious when many other so-called experts in AI predict it's going to take a long time. I think they're mm. often locked into their own understanding of the current parts. You know, even professors get uh, blindsided frequently, oh. especially professors who are quite committed to a particular course of action. And they say, I can't imagine how we're going to make much progress in the next 10 years. It's going to take 100 years or maybe 80 years to get AGI. 
I think, on the contrary, a lot of these things could happen a lot faster, which is why I said earlier there's a 50% chance we could have artificial general intelligence by the middle of the century. I would also say there's a 10% chance we'll have it within 10 years. Well, witness in that. When we were talking before about an artificial intelligence becoming conscious, have you ever questioned what the, the Turing test would be to discover whether they are conscious or not? It's a hard uh, point. And so yeah. Alan Turing, in his famous uh, 1951 article, yeah. said, you know, uh, let's try and set aside the question of whether something is, quote, really conscious. Let's just find out whether it could do all the things that we'd expect an intelligence to do. Mm. And his imitation uh, game uh, has been a very useful thought discussion since then. Mm. Again, I'm not sure we want to program computers to win the Turing test because again it's uh, teaching them to deceive they have to invent some backstory about their a human life and say what did you do at university what subjects did you study who did you know did you know this person oh you say you grew up in New York Bronx uh, which street were you on so we don't want it to have that but so there are limitations to that but it has been a wonderful uh, thought piece mm -hmm. in terms now in the end, how will we know that it uh, truly is conscious uh, rather than just going through a formula? Because after all, you can teach a robot already to say lots of things to make you think it is feeling. Like but it's, Yes. So I think in the end, it's going to have to come down to an explanation of what consciousness is. And AI is going to have to say, you're not quite sure what consciousness is. Let me, ex let me explain it to you. And it will talk us through a theory in which it says if the, if the different me mental modules are connecting in this way, this is why consciousness arises. And then we'll say, ah, oh, yes, that's true. And then it'll say, well, look at my configuration. Uh, I, I, have, I have that configuration. Therefore, for that reason, I'm conscious. It's also possible we might say, this is what consciousness is. My configuration isn't like that. I'm not actually conscious. I'm just going through things entirely as, as, a, as a mechanical robot. Well, so either way, you could get the AI explaining to us what consciousness is and convincing us. But what, what about, though, if instead of the artificial intelligence answering questions, what if it asks questions? Yes. Because that would be uh, interesting. Because Picasso famously scorned his yeah. computers. He said, uh, computers can only ans uh, uh, answer questions. They can't ask questions. Mm -hmm. And that may have been true in his time. But uh, now we do have a software coming up with interesting questions the whole time. Mm. And they do it by the same way. We, we often come up with questions. You know, we've got all kinds of crazy ideas in our head and a part of the brain says, crazy, crazy, crazy. Ah, oh, this is a good question. Let's ask it now. That's how some of the creativity works in some of these uh, software today. And yeah, indeed, it may come up with very good questions indeed. What do you think about, I know you've spoke about, I've heard you speak about this before, and I would love to see insight on the sense of like us becoming superhumans because I know a lot of people say that... Um, Obviously, a lot of people talk about artificial intelligence building something outside of ourselves, but there's obviously a lot of new evidence and people like biohackers and people talking about how we're going to be to is a way to combat and keep up with artificial intelligence would be to sort of alter our own biology and our own chemistry and things like that. Do you how do you foresee that playing out? I think something like that needs yeah. to happen. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of AI, as we said earlier, is to help humans have a better life. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the features of technology can help us to improve our bodies. We already do this. We have artificial hips and knees. Yeah. We wear glasses from time to time. We have uh, cochlear implants in uh, some cases. And in due course, we might uh, replace our limbs. And we might have uh, improved hearts. You know, tragically, many people die while waiting for an organ transplant. In the future, we'll have artificial organs. So we are on the way already to being cyborgs or transhumans. And I think that 
can be good, can be bad too, but we need to, as we said earlier, we need to evaluate each case, what are the pros and cons of this. And one way we can uh, take more advantage of AI is that we enhance our own mental capacity. So I had my eyes lasered when I was 50, which means uh, I don't need to wear glasses anymore. That's been great. I always said in some stage of my life, I would like my brain. I said lasered, but it's not really being lasered. I want my brain to be enhanced in the way that my vision has been enhanced. So it hasn't happened yet, but in due course, maybe there'll be possible for us to have extra brain cells grown, or many people talk about connecting the brain directly onto the internet. And Elon Musk has got a, a company called Neuralink, Initially to help paraplegics or people who are ex- extremely disabled, mm. who don't have arms and legs under full control as we've got, or maybe you can't speak, but at least they can communicate direct brain to computer. So I think something like this will happen. Mm-hmm. As it happens, I don't think we will be able to improve our brains and mental capacity as quickly as the AIs improve their capacity because our brains are still currently held up by the... the biological architecture of being inside our skulls. We might manage to have a certain speed up, we might go two times or even ten times faster, but AI is likely to improve itself by a hundred or a thousand or even more times. So I don't think the answer can simply be, don't worry, we will be the AIs. Well, what the answer could be is that with the help of this technology, we will become smarter, wiser, more thoughtful people, and we're able to figure out how we can therefore control AI for the sake of everybody. So it will be more aware humans, more wise humans, it will be humanity plus as a result of AI and other technologies too, will help us reach to this high level in which we can be more sure of controlling AI for the sake of all humanity. And the AIs then could become like the gods of ancient religions. They will be the machines of loving grace looking after us in the way that people often thought, still do think, that gods in the heaven are controlling human destiny, even though many things apparently go wrong, they say, well, it's all in some divine plan. Well, in the future, if we do it right, the AIs will be looking after humanity, and we won't have these tragedies that we have to kind of philosophize away, well, it must be in the inscrutable mind of the AIs. They will ensure that all humans have a possibility for a really wonderful experience. There still will be stresses, there still will be challenges, there still will be conflicts of sorts, sporting conflicts, but there will not be the stresses and challenges which currently debilitate people and drive people into such a terrible mental state and physical anguish. So that's the, the big vision. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. We really are always trying to find ways to improve the podcast. And if you didn't know, we also now video all these podcast conversations and they're available on the ascend podcast youtube page we have some great conversations coming up in the near future we've just talked to a very interesting guy who is one of the leading minds on the placebo effect so that is coming up in the near future and if you can please consider supporting the podcast through our patreon page or our one-off donation option this will really help us to keep this podcast afloat We love you all and have a great day wherever you are on the planet and try not to take this crazy ride we call life too seriously. Peace.